hey, check this out. We did something really fun this week over on Instagram at Follow Friday Pod. On Wednesday, I posted a lightning round of bonus questions with last week's guest, Josh Frulinger. You can find a longer version of that same video on Twitter at Follow Friday Pod. Give it a watch wherever you like and tell me if you like it. If enough people do, then I will do more of them. But now let's talk about today's guest, Justin Myers. Justin is better known as the Guyliner, and we talk about his most famous online work early in the interview. He was so fun to talk to, and I think you're going to love all four of his follow recommendations. If you want to show Follow Friday some love, you can donate any amount over on Patreon and unlock a bonus follow from Justin about this really funny comedian that he has followed forever. So please consider chipping in any amount at patreon.com slash follow Friday. Thank you. If you're listening to this episode in the Patreon feed and you've already heard Justin's first four follows, then check the show notes for the time of follow number five. Thank you so much to all of our amazing patrons. Thank you to everyone who is following the show on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And most of all, thank you for listening in today. Here's the show. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. Let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away, with no further delay. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, the podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, take a moment now and please follow or subscribe in your podcast app. Today on the show is writer and novelist Justin Myers, also known as The Guyliner. He was recommended by a previous guest on the show, Helen Zaltzman from The Illusionist. If you're looking for that episode, it originally aired in April 2021, a full year ago, which is impossible to imagine. You can find Justin at theguyliner.com and on Twitter and Instagram at theguyliner. Justin, welcome to Follow Friday. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on. So glad that you could be here. People who listened to Helen's episode last year will know this already. But you are best known maybe for a series you've been writing for a long time, about uh, eight years now, called Impeccable Table Manners. Eight years. It's a review of this column in the Guardian magazine, right, called Guardian Blind Date. And you've been writing online sort of picking apart like what people say in this dating column. Most of our listeners are in the U.S., so maybe if you could talk a little bit about what Guardian Blind Date is, what makes it interesting, and then what you do with Impeccable Table Manners. It's really hard to explain without sounding like I have severe social problems, but I will give it a go. So for the last 11 or 12 years, The Guardian is a national newspaper in the UK. And for the last 12 years or so, in their weekend supplement magazine, they have been printing a column called Blind Date, in which they send two complete randoms who have applied to be in this column off on a date somewhere in a restaurant to eat a free meal in the hope that love will blossom. Then after the date, they're emailed like a set of stock questions. They're always the same every week. They've changed very little variation over the years. And they answer them. And I'm a big fan of the column. It's a really interesting look into how people behave. 
and also what they choose to reveal about themselves, not only to a stranger on a date, but also in a magazine. Some of these people are insane anyway. <laughs> and, some of them, and some of them are very, very ordinary. And you're no less interesting the more ordinary you are, I found in this column. So a few years ago, I started, I used to talk about it on Twitter a lot with other people. It's a really popular feature over here, the, the blind date column. And I used to write a dating blog of my own. I was, I was, I used to hide my identity and go on dates with men and write about them afterwards. And then when I found a boyfriend, I kind of still wanted to write, obviously, and, and needed to find something new. So I just started doing analyses, really, of these blind date answers. Because there are stock questions, you know, it's quite easy to draw conclusions and, and make comparisons and, you know, make social commentary about what they say, how they answer these questions. And it just snowballed into something I used to do for half an hour on a Saturday morning into this gigantic thing that got me an army of fans. And <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable with every aspect of it, but um, <laughs> it's great. And it's not really about the people who are on the date, I always say. Really, the blog, the column, my analysis is about me and about the world in general and about what the things these people say on these blind dates, what they mean to us generally. We've all, you know, got something in common with them, that, that kind of thing. So it's not really... I, I Well, okay, when I first started doing it, I would kind of rip them to shreds. But now that we live in the be kind era... <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of backed away from that a little bit. And for the last few years now, it's been more of a, a general commentary on how mental the world is. And you, you also write a uh, weekly column for the British edition of GQ. And I want to ask you about something you recently wrote called What to Do If Someone You Love Is a Terrible Person on Twitter. This is the sort of headline that I will click in five seconds, like the immediate bait for me. Um, I'll link to this in the show notes. But I love the fact that you encourage people to confront toxicity in private, to not start a forever war in the Facebook comments. And you also write that, quote, you have a right to an untarnished online space. And if that means unfollowing everyone you know in real life and banning your family from looking at your updates, so be it. So, I mean, this podcast is Follow Friday, but I frequently unfollow people or mute them. I am a huge fan of this approach. It, it sounds like you do the same. Do you kind of curate your own life and in in your own social media in this way? I'm a muter rather than an unfollower. So I follow, I follow now very cautiously. I've got like 34,000 followers or something on Twitter, which is a frightening prospect <laughs> sometimes. It could be worse, obviously. It could be 200,000. Right. So I follow, I'm quite careful now who I follow. And in fact, it was quite a big deal for me to come on a podcast called Follow Friday because I <laughs> always get very nervous endorsing anybody because the way things are at the moment, anyone can turn into that milkshake duck like overnight. <laughs> People are so, in, in, you know, going unhinged at a rate of knots. So I'm a muter because I don't, what I don't like is when you unfollow somebody or you block somebody, I don't like that being used as a badge of honor by that person, which sometimes happens, you know, oh, I'm blocked by, not that anyone would really care, but oh, I'm blocked by the guy liner because I said such and such. It's used as a as, as promotion for that person. And right. I'm so not about that. Right. It's like they'll, they'll take a screenshot and they'll be use it usually as a way of alleging some sort of hypocrisy. I mean, at least that's the way it happens in the US and our political you know, sphere over here is like, oh, I, w I thought you cared about free speech or some nonsense like that. <laughs> yeah, screenshots are very rarely done in good faith. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. Well, let's flip the equation. We will dare to venture into the world of who you do follow online. Uh, Everyone else, you can follow along with us today. Every person Justin recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com slash theguyliner. It's Follow Friday. Justin, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category, Someone Who Makes the Internet a Better Place, and you said Daytime Snaps, which is on Twitter at Daytime Snaps. Um, Everyone who's not currently driving, I strongly recommend going to Daytime Snaps on Twitter so you can see what we're going to be talking about. But Justin, to the best of your ability in an audio podcast, could you try to explain what, what Daytime Snaps is all about? So yeah, this is very much a not-for-radio kind of account, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because it's all visual. <laughs> so daytime snaps is a very simple concept. It is out-of-context screenshots of British daytime television. Now, I don't know what daytime television is like in the US, but I imagine it has its own charm. But in the UK, we have things like auction shows, there's a usual breakfast TV of people talking about the news in a very weird, woolly, vague way. Mm-hmm. There's property shows, magazine and discussion programs, game shows, quizzes. And they are usually populated either by the worst celebrities in Britain or people you would <laughs> very likely move house if you had to share a garden fence with them. <laughs> uh, and obviously I love it. And the TV shows are completely deranged. So you'll get... Just, it's like a really fascinating peek into British culture, which also makes it terrifying. And I would love to hear what Americans think of this account, honestly. But um, it's kind of people doing very strange things. And the thing about daytime TV is that you get the kind of people who don't get to be on television very often. Mm-hmm. Like once upon a time, you might have seen them on primetime game shows, but we don't really do that anymore in the UK. The celebrities now from the increasing celebrity circuit, they come in and they take part in these shows. So the magazine shows, we have a very big uh, magazine show in the UK that runs five days a week and it's called This Morning, highly original. And it's presented by Holly and Phil, who are, I would say, borderline iconic celebrity figures in the UK. And these shows, sometimes they have very big stars on them. And sometimes they have people like the woman from New York who made £30,000 a week from farting into a jar. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Mm. And the screenshots in Daytime Snaps are are presented completely out of context. There's never any caption, any supporting text at all. Right. Um, But obviously sometimes on these discussion shows, uh, we have a show called Loose Women, which is kind of like The View. (laughs) Right. It's it's the British version of The View. And um, if there's a phone in or some kind of audience participation, obviously there'll be an on-screen graphic that will make you question your sanity. And I just... (laughs) Before we came onto the show, I just I just collected a few for you uh, from daytime snaps. So some examples would be: Is it okay to kiss your pet on the lips? <laughs> I saw this one, and the picture of kissing <laughs> the pet on the lips is this woman making this like <laughs> very very intense frown. Is the only way I can describe it. <laughs> yes. Is this the world's biggest potato? How to cook lasagna in your dishwasher. And uh, (laughs) my personal favorite is one, I have a fear of custard. And this was a phone-in line on this morning. And they had a woman phoning in. She had a fear of custard. And as she was talking about custard, she couldn't say the word without retching. This is live on television. Oh, my gosh. This woman is almost throwing up. It was, it's, it's, 
I mean, I'm sure it's not quite as, I always imagine, and this may not be true, that American TV is slightly more sensationalist than, than UK TV. But, but there's something very twee about British daytime TV, I think. Daytime Snaps kind of encapsulates that weird tweeness, that very, a very local feel that UK daytime TV has. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a lot of these, you know, the chat shows and, and morning news shows, things like that, and a lot of game shows as well. I mean, the classic thing in America is if you are homesick from school, that means you get to watch The Price is Right, the long-running, you know, game show where people are competing to guess the prices of things they don't need and would never buy otherwise. Yeah, we had that one for a while. But the, the my favorite one, at least recently on Daytime Snaps, is also from a quiz show. It's either the host or contestant. I'm not sure. It's a it's a it's a black man with glasses and a bald head looking at the camera, and below him is the question: What is the Norwegian word for a speed bump? And the options are fart stump, poop slump, and bum strump. And he's just looking at the camera like, I don't know what I'm doing here either. <laughs> that sounds like the chase, which is a very very popular quiz show here in the UK and it runs on primetime as well. It has huge audience figures and has a celebrity version of all sorts. It's massive, the chase. <laughs> One that I really liked was, um, I don't know whether it's the same in the US, but in the UK we have this culture on these shows of there's a very expensive phone-in quiz and we call them premium rate phone lines where the caller is paying a fortune per minute to enter this competition. Right. And the answers are always really, really easy to encourage you to enter. So I just noted one down, which was, um, which of the following does an owl not have? Is it A, eyeballs, B, a neck, or C, eyelids? And I really had to think about that one, actually. It's eyelids, right? I thought it was a neck. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. Pretty sure they have eyeballs. <laughs> no, because... <laughs> but yeah, it's just an amazing um, insight into the insanity of Britain generally, I think. This is, this is an important cultural exchange, yeah. Yes, very much so. What is it that Daytime Snaps does that makes the internet a better place? And do you think, is there something that we as regular internet people, is there something we can learn from Daytime Snaps that can also make it a better place? Yeah, I think so. I think the reason it makes the internet a better place is that it shows how important it is to laugh at yourself. And even in these times of ceaseless darkness, you know, you will never have a problem as big as the woman who had to phone Holly and Phil to say she was afraid of custard. It just <laughs> won't happen. So it makes the internet a better place by reassuring you that things could be a lot worse. And if you're playing along at home, the Norwegian word for a speed bump is fart stump. <laughs> oh, it actually is fart stump. It is fart stump. Okay. Yes. Well, there you go. Educational. <laughs> exactly. I think I do have this podcast categorized. One of the categories is the education category. And this is exactly why we learn important stuff every week on this show. So <laughs> this is the kind of stuff you will never learn in, in, an, in an English class in school. So there you go. Exactly. Well, they don't want you to know. Well, that was Daytime Snaps, which is on Twitter at Daytime Snaps. It's Final Friday. Let's move on to your next follow. Justin, I asked you to tell me about someone who makes you think, and you said Annie Lord, who is on Twitter and Instagram at Annie Lord 8. And that's the number 8 at the end, Annie Lord 8. 
Annie is a dating columnist for Vogue, so I assume you probably read her work to inform what you write for GQ and for Impeccable Table Manners. How did you start following her? Someone tweeted her into my timeline. I, I, that's how yeah. I, you know, I discover most people that way, I suppose. And it was a column she'd written. And unfortunately, I can't remember which one it was, but I had never really read anything like it. Um, she is such a... I mean, you'll, you'll note that my picks are kind of all writers. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a writer as well, but I like to read writers. Right. I mean, sounds obvious, really, I suppose. And I like, you know, reading different kinds of writers. And Annie is such a beautiful writer. And the way she writes, it's so emotional and yet not saccharine or overly sentimental. Just really meaningful and yet still light of tone. She's it's just such a brilliant writer, a brilliant writer. And I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been a dating columnist in the past and I write about sex and relationships for, for GQ. So, you know, I, I, she, but she's a very different kind of columnist from me in that rather than to give information and advice or whatever, like I do, she talks about her experiences and really her columns are kind of like chapters of a novel, huh. almost a very beautiful novel. Uh, she really draws you in and her writing is always really insightful, yet kind of wistful. I think she's quite young. I don't know. I mean, everyone is young compared to me, but, it, you know, it feels like despite her her age, you know, she's been through a lot. And I don't necessarily mean in a, in a harrowing way, mm-hmm. but when she writes about men and relationships and how she gets on with other women, it's so wise and you know, sometimes self-deprecating, but it always comes from a place of, you know, I have experienced this and I'm not pretending to be the authority on this, but this is, you know, what I think about it. And she goes, you know, goes off onto really beautiful tangents and muses about, it's just really nice. It's, she's got quite a dreamlike quality to her writing. And I think reading her could only enhance your life. Right. If only to get like a better understanding of what the world might be like for a young woman right. who's still kind of finding her way through it. Yeah, I mean, you, you were saying earlier that with impeccable table manners, a lot of it is drawing from your own life, your own experiences. And I really yeah. think that, you know, anyone who reads a dating column, a sex and relationships column, anything like that, they're looking for the wisdom of someone else's experience, right? The, the, the pot maybe one yeah. way to look at maybe like the, the shortcut to, to wisdom, where it's just, you know, what is a life that someone else has lived just maybe that I could avoid red flags or pitfalls or avoid heartbreak or, or what have you, just to kind of get maybe a, a little bit ahead of uh, where someone else was who was once in my shoes. Yeah. And not just that, I think, I think there is an element of it, of escapism, of spending a little bit of time in somebody else's life. Being alive a long time is no guarantee that you will ever fully work yourself out. Mm-hmm. But Annie's journey is quite a fascinating one to watch. Um, and I think bigger things are definitely coming her way. She does have a book coming yes. out uh, in late spring called Notes on Heartbreak. But yeah, you're right in that it can, even if it's not really obvious advice given in given in quite a, you know, a guidance mm-hmm. way, not a word, but you know what I mean, there's, there's an element of learning through someone else's experiences and also that escapism angle, like I said, and also just, just, you know, being entertained by it. You can still be entertained, I think, by experiences that aren't always positive because the thing about Annie's writing is that even if the subject matter is, you know, quite dark or uh, doesn't have a happy ending and 
I definitely prefer stuff that doesn't have a happy ending, which is maybe why some of her stuff appeals to me. Right. But it's written in such a lovely way that you will enjoy the experience nonetheless. Exactly. Yeah, the, the book that you mentioned that she has coming out called Notes on Heartbreak, I think it's about the end of a five-year relationship. This is how the publisher describes it on, on their website. Annie charts her attempts to move on from disastrous rebound sex to sending ill-advised nudes, stalking her ex's new girlfriend on Instagram, and the sharp indignity of being ghosted. So kind of continuing what we're talking about with like drawing from your own experience, a lot of that in that description is stuff that, that Annie has done herself like as a, as a newly single woman. But when you are drawing from your experience in your, your life experience in what you're writing for the public, do you sort of set boundaries with your you know current or former partners about like, hey, I can write about this, I can't write about this? Like how, how do you navigate that line between you know your personal life and and what you are producing for the public? I don't share much about my current personal mm. life. That's how I get around it, I suppose. Most of the things I talk about are things from maybe when I was single. I don't really talk about my previous relationship either, not for any sinister reason, just because it wasn't, you know, I wasn't the sole owner of that experience. Right. And so I can talk about my own emotions and feelings during that time, but I don't talk about the specifics. And so mainly I talk about experiences in almost quite a, as a concept, maybe rather than going into granular detail or, you know, things that are, unless they are experiences that I feel I can own myself. And if anybody complained about it, I could say, you know, this was something that happened to me. You're, in, you're entitled to write about your own life right, and portray things in an honest way. If you hurt someone, then that is an unfortunate side effect of it. But I try not to do that. I wouldn't ever say to someone, don't write like that in case you hurt someone, because that's a conversation you have to have with yourself and you have to live with your own choices. Exactly. But I, I don't do that. I mean, I could do that. I, I have mixed feelings about monetizing your pain. Mm. And I know that it can be very lucrative. And I know that it can also be a healing experience for you. And it can also be an entertaining experience for others. And it can really help mm -hmm. others. But it's just something... I do very, very carefully. Yes. And what's great about being around for such a long time, you know, I've been writing about myself, I suppose, for about 12 years or whatever, mm -hmm. is that it's trial and error. And um, I've worked out, you know, from maybe oversharing sometimes or undersharing other times. I've got the balance right myself, I suppose. Right. And, and I, Annie, I think, gets the balance really right as well. She's definitely... Her experiences, and she definitely writes about them in a more raw way, I think. Right. But yeah, she gets the balance right. She's, she's a proper talent. She does, her writing really does excite me. Yeah. And, and you said that she makes you think. I mean, is there anything specifically you remember that she has written that has changed your mind on something or made you see something from a different, from a new perspective? I think when I say that she makes me think, what I mean is actually that her writing is so evocative that she... I identify with it, even though we are very different people. I'm at least, you know, I think I'm like 15 years older than her, at least. And I'm a gay man uh, and she is not, <laughs> she's younger. Although we are, we did grow up quite close to one. Well, we're from close towns, close to each other in the north of England. She makes me thinking that she makes, I, I can identify with so much that she's saying. She makes me think about my own experiences. You know, the things that are happening to her happened to me years ago in a way. And it's really interesting. Yeah, it, I see it from a new perspective, I suppose. What I see also is 
how things is, can be so unifying and so similar mm-hmm. across gender barriers and age, any any demographic you can think of, the experiences don't change that much, especially emotional experiences. So that's how she makes me think, I would say. It's both reassuring and horrifying <laughs> that we're all kind of going through the same stuff no matter who we are right the we, we are doomed to repeat the the history of of uh, what it's like to go through yeah. being single going through relationships the only thing that's changed out there really is the technology right <laughs> you know the the fuck boys are still fuck boys the heartbreaks <laughs> are still heartbreaks exactly it's just all happening on much nicer phones well, that was Annie Lord, who was on Twitter and Instagram at AnnieLord8, and it's the number eight. We are going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Justin Myers, a.k.a. The Guyliner. Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod, which is the podcast studio behind Follow Friday, but we also help other podcasters, too. Whether you're starting a new podcast or you want help with an existing show, Lightning Pod can help you with editing, copywriting, website design, interviewing technique, improving your audio quality, and so much more. We've worked with everyone from solo creators to startups to huge established companies, so check us out at lightningpod.fm. That's lightningpod.fm. It's Follow Friday! Welcome back to Follow Friday. Justin, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who makes you laugh, and you said R. Eric Thomas, who is on Twitter at R. Eric, and that is spelled O-U-R-E-R-I-C. R. Eric Thomas has a lot of jobs. He's a former magazine columnist and an author known for books like Here For It. He's a TV writer and a playwright. He's the host of some of the live Moth podcasts, which is really cool. A lot of stuff. So, so Justin, what was your introduction to him or, or to his work? He's like an octuple threat. Yeah, right? He does everything. <laughs> He's great. I, I never know whether to call him R or Eric. His name is Robert, okay. I think. But his, but he goes but by his R professional Eric. name is R. Eric Thomas. Yeah, I was, I, in, my, in my notes here, I was just calling him R. Eric, like, like as if it's a, it's a double name, you know? Yeah. It's quite funny because um, I'm from the north of England and, and calling someone R. Eric is what you would call like your brother Eric. <laughs> R. Eric. Right, right. Anyway, I can't remember how I came across his work. I, I imagine it would have been the amazing column he used to have for L magazine online in which he would dissect celebrity and entertainment culture with the sharpest of scalpels. It, he, you know, they were like really snappy and hilarious comment pieces. He's got such a brilliant tone. Um, he makes you feel really involved and he's got this great gossipy feel to his writing or especially on on that column but it was still quite authoritative you know it wasn't just empty gossip it's right. it's really had substance to it and he's just his ability to magic up an unforgettable turn of phrase he's got everything he's so so good so so funny for celebrity culture his is the take that you want so you know his assessment for example of the will smith Chris Rock mm-hmm. Oscars drama was, you know, that was the right one. That was the one I was waiting for. And it was a, it was a brilliant take. I think his take was, was called minding my own business, something like that. <laughs> yes. Basically he was saying, you know, this is two rich men doing their thing and has absolutely no bearing on real life <laughs> for us mere mortals. So stay the hell out of it. And how true is that? Yep. Very wise. 
I don't know how much you've, you've delved into his his other writing or how much of what he makes you laugh is his tweets. Like, like is there other stuff that he's written that that really makes you laugh that really gets you? He he has a couple of newsletters which I subscribe to. So there's Here for It, which he's been doing a really long time, and that is kind of it's more his more personal newsletter, I would say. And he just riffs on whatever's been on his mind. And it's like, you know, I'm tempted to say a stream of consciousness, but that would make it sound like there wasn't any art to it because there really, really is. You can tell that it probably doesn't take him that long to write. It's just all natural. It fizzes off the page. It is properly sparkling stuff. So funny, just the way his brain will go off. It's like a labyrinthine, (laughs) you know, journey and then it eventually comes back to to his original point just the way he ties it all together really really good i would recommend uh, subscribing to that and then he's also got his previously on newsletter which is more about pop culture you know observations talking about anything from rom-coms to mixtapes to drag race whatever is happening there out there he's on it but i think some of his funniest stuff was around when Maxine Waters. Yes, US Congresswoman, yeah. She's a Congresswoman, that's right. Um, and she's, how would you say it politely? She's an older lady, right? She's in, she's in her 70s. She's quite advanced in years. Uh, apparently she's 83. I, did, I had no idea. My God. Well, she looks fantastic. Yeah. I, I thought I was being rude saying she was in her 70s because <laughs> she doesn't look it. But And she is an amazingly intelligent and quick-witted woman who really gives Congress, uh, or whatever it's called. I don't really know much about US politics, I must admit. Wherever it is that she sits, she gives them hell. Mm-hmm. And R. Eric Thomas's, you know, his summaries of when she was in the news. He wrote a book actually yeah. about her. And um, it was very, very funny. Just the way he inhabits the character. And he, he has such a brilliant brain that he will, you know, he makes you believe that this kind of satirical parody version of Maxine Waters is probably quite close to the real one. And I hope it is true that she's really like that. It's not even necessarily his one-liners, which are epic. It's just the entire package. And I would honestly read absolutely anything by him given half the chance. It's a brilliant niche to have. And, you know, when readers decide that it's your take and your voice is the one that they want to hear, you know, discussing what's happening, whatever like that. It's it's such a, a talent and he wears it well and he's very prolific. And yet I never see a drop in quality or any anything like yeah. that. He's just always on. It's really, I really admire him a great deal. Yeah, his book about Maxine Waters is called, I think, Reclaiming Her Time. Yes. Which is a reference to a very famous in the US viral political clip. Someone from the previous administration was testifying in front of Congress and just kind of being a jerk. He was not answering questions that she was asking. And she's an older black woman who suffers no fools, I think is the right way to put it. So she was like not going to be bulldozed by some punk who was testifying and not cooperating. So whenever he started to get evasive, she was just yelling down at him, reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. Yeah. And yeah, she, you know, has definitely had enough of everybody's nonsense. And I think I remember Eric Thomas wrote a column about that. And his column about that is definitely worth seeking out. I think it was one of his L pieces and it is just so funny it's absolutely brilliant and it was also worth remembering is that he turned this stuff around very very quickly but it's not like a hot take 
you know, it's not like one of those things that people will say anything for the money. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a considered, highly intelligent and measured piece that would have taken a much lesser writer hours and hours and hours. But he just like that. And it so was done. impressive. Yeah. So brilliant. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm writing something, I just need to, you know, stare at the blank page for couple days and then i go play a game on my phone and then i come back and for some reason the page is still blank i don't understand uh, why that happens but the pop culture newsletter that you mentioned that our eric does is uh previously on it's a previously on.bulletin.com and i want to ask you about one of his recent columns called crush culture peaked with the mixtape uh, the basic idea of which is that making a physical mixtape on a stereo, something that I'm old enough to remember doing, this was a time-intensive, stressful process, and that there's no form of online flirting, like making a Spotify playlist or sliding into someone's DMs. There's nothing that can compare to that, because it just does not take as much. Do you agree with that? What's your take on how the internet has changed, I guess, flirting with your crush? I agree with that. And I think this is the, I was, I was reading that one recently, actually. And I, I do agree with that. I think this is why, you know, we get men sending dick mm. pics. It takes no effort. And I suppose they think, you know, if I send 20, then one person might go for it. Whereas in the old days, and the fact that I'm saying old days makes me want to shrivel up into myself like a raisin. <laughs> but back then, shall we say, in the era that, Uh, Eric Thomas is talking about, you had to really mean it. You had to really put effort into this crush. You were spending your time making a tape, pressing pause and record, choosing the songs, agonizing over it much more. It's just much more of a commitment than dashing off a quick pick, taking down your trousers or sliding a few songs over in Spotify that you could just send to a million people. This is a mixtape, a physical thing, a tangible object that you would have to create and then write a note to go alongside, put it in an envelope, take that to the post office and send it to someone. This is, you know, if you did that now, you'd probably, someone would get a restraining (laughs) order against you. But back then... It was seen as a fairly normal thing to do. And I think your crushes meant more then. You know, you probably had fewer mm. of them. You had a shorter list of potentials who might be interested in you. And so you focused your attention on them and, and did these things that would make them feel special. There's nothing properly, I don't, to be honest, nothing that special about a Spotify playlist being mailed over yep. even. I can make one of those in 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, that's not special. And it's, you know, an email, emails are the least sexy thing on earth. Exactly. Because you can't judge the tone, but also you can't judge their handwriting. And the thing about what that physical mail that was so exciting is that you get to see their handwriting and they say that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And the uh, if that's true, then the handwriting is what? Like the, the lawn, <laughs> the front lawn. So if it's good handwriting and it's perfectly manicured, then that could mean one thing. Not necessarily good. And if it's like a wild meadow and scrawling everywhere, then that could mean another it's a, it's a view into their personality, right? I, I mean, my handwriting is abysmal. It, it is it is chicken scratch. And so I am very grateful that I met my then-girlfriend, now-fiancé, online because uh, she appreciates good design and good handwriting. If she had had to see my handwriting, I don't think I don't think it would have worked out. I, th- I think I, I really dodged a bullet there. <laughs> well, you see, Eric, my handwriting is very beautiful. Oh. So there's every chance that had I been the one mailing your girlfriend a mixtape, things could be very different. 
<laughs> I mean, things things would have to be very, very different in say. many ways for that to happen. <laughs> but, you know, just just putting it out there. Well, that was our Eric Thomas, who was on Twitter at our Eric, O-U-R-E-R-I-C. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Justin, I asked you for someone you don't know but want to be friends with, and you said Dame Joan Collins, who is on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Collins DBE. Uh, Dame, I guess DBE is Dame of the British Empire. Is that right? Yeah, that's an unfortunate part, isn't it? The British Empire. Never mind. Yeah, exactly. Don't think about it too hard. Uh, but 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 Joan is an actor known for TV shows such as the original version of Dynasty in the eighties. Uh, regrettably, I think the only thing that I have seen her in is in. The Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas, about which the less said, the better. <laughs> oh, God. Justin, I assume you know and love her from something slightly better than the Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. Yes. Um, I mean, I am a gay man in my 40s. <laughs> so like most gay men in my 40s, I revere Alexis Carrington Colby from, as you say, the original series of what we call Dynasty over here. Right. Talk about the character. Like, uh, yeah, w- what makes her special? Like, why is she an icon? Alexis, she's a tough bitch. <laughs> she's a proper glossy soap bitch. And basically, I always feel that soap bitches are basically gay men <laughs> in designer drag. They are kind of written that way. And a lot of, a lot of what Alexis said has become kind of part of the, the gay lexicon maybe for, for a, you know for a not for every gay man obviously but for <laughs> quite a few of them my age and you know she was a villain obviously of dynasty mm. but you kind of wanted her to win you you know unless you were the dullest person on earth there's just no way on you could have ever rooted for blake and crystal who were just two vanilla ice creams of nothing <laughs> alexis was the one with the color and the fascinating one-liners and just she was ruthless but she had a she her achilles heel was her children mm-hmm. she was she was great and what i find interesting about joan is that for all her protests that she's nothing like alexis i reckon she's not a million miles away <laughs> and i would say what i find really interesting about dame joan is that she inhabits this bizarre world i don't think anyone would question she has a list status mm-hmm. right Joan Collins, she's an A-lister. Even without having seen Dynasty or Dynasty, like I knew immediately, oh, right, Dame Joan Collins, very famous actor. Very, very famous. So she's proper A-list, but she has quite C or D-list sensibilities hmm. in that some of the stars she hangs around with or knows, especially from the UK, are, shall we say, not quite of Joan's calibre, <laughs> and yet she still grants them an audience. I think she's probably one of the the last to straddle that really interesting difference between Hollywood and British celebrity. Mm. Because like our younger A-listers, you know, Cumberbatch and whatever, Kerry Mulligan, whatever, Mm -hmm. they all go off to Hollywood and they never really come back. Right. Or they stay within that circle, don't they? Right. But Joan is from a bygone age where the lines blurred more. And also what's really interesting about her is that she had her own stint on the C-list like in the 70s, she was making a lot of B movies. Mm. There's a lot of alphabets in Joan's life, you know, A's, B's and C's and then DBEs. Mm. You know? <laughs> That's good. So she'll, you'll get this, she's this impossibly glamorous Hollywood woman who lives in a huge house in Beverly Hills, probably. And yet 
she will appear on really popular, what you might call lower grade TV shows in the UK. You know, certain comedies, which you wouldn't really expect a massive star would go anywhere near, but she will do it. She was even a guest panelist on the British version of The Masked Singer Mm. recently. And she made a pretty good fist, I I must say, of grasping what the hell was going on. (laughs) You know, she's in her 80s. But for Joan, I think, you know, work is work and she's a grafter. And I think she really enjoys still working and being part of it all. Um, And what I like about her is that she's, you know, she's not your average elderly lady, obviously, but she is sending a good message that older people can still be funny and useful and have something to offer. You know, they have something to say. I just find her fascinating, really. And I would just love to go for lunch with her. Yeah. And apparently she did read my first novel. Oh my gosh. And liked it. That's so exciting. I know. Her publicist told me this and I tell everyone it at any given opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Before I tell them what my name is, I say, Joan Collins read my first book. It doesn't matter what my name is. Just just remember that fact. Exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, high class or low class TV shows, I'm not sure where this one falls, but apparently when I was when I was looking up what what else she had been in, other than the aforementioned movie that I have seen her in, Joan Collins was also a short lived Batman villain in the 1960s TV show. She was called The Siren. Yeah. Do you know about this? According to this from the Batman wiki. The siren has the ability to mesmerize any man to do her bidding by pitching a high note two octaves above high C with her voice. So I'm just putting out there, maybe that's why every every gay man is into her. Maybe you've all been mesmerized by, by the siren. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. She, she sings at a note that only gay men can hear. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> this is actually part of the reason why she's so interesting to follow, because in her 80s now, Joan has nothing to lose. And so mm-hmm. she's quite frank about things that have happened to her in her career. She looks upon everything now with, she's not ashamed of some of the more low rent stuff she's done. She's proud that she was still, you know, booked and busy as they say now. She can laugh at herself. She looks back, she posts old clips of herself on shows. I think she did actually talk about Batman not that long Mm. ago. And she talks about fabulous lunches she goes on. I mean, she has not got impeccable taste in dining companions. I mean, I have seen her having lunch with Piers Morgan, which is unfortunate. Mm, but yeah. but she does talk. She's really interesting because she still remembers Hollywood, what it was like. Mm-hmm. And she lifts the lid on some of the things that happened to her. She had a, a TV show over here recently uh, that was looking at her life. I think it was on, on New Year's Day in, in the UK. And um, I can't remember the name of it, I'm afraid, but it was from her diaries and she was just looking back and, you know, she was talking about the the stuff that she's endured, you know, the things she had to do to make money, the things she had to star in, the unwelcome attention of co-stars and directors and producers and all that kind of stuff. She really is a survivor. Yeah. And I, I find people like that really interesting. I think she's probably one of the very last left from that, golden or not so golden mm-hmm. depending on which way you look at it era of hollywood there's a lot to be learned from joan i think yeah i think i saw a clip from that same special you're talking about where she says every man in hollywood was a predator at that point yeah. and you have to assume that there's a lot of her peers from that same time who didn't survive who didn't keep on working who didn't find their own way past that system i think it's amazing that she has has kept on working and that she as you're saying is opening up about that history that she does not she doesn't pull any punches about like hey here's what it was like to be me at this at this particular time in, in hollywood history i think that's great yeah it's great because older women just kind of disappear yeah 
you know, they disappear off the scene. It's like the only few that you see are like, you know, Liza is still out there. And then there's Joan and, you know, a few others, but they're mainly Angela Lansbury. But how interesting that they're all gay icons as well. There's something in that, isn't there? I think so. Yeah. That was Dame Joan Collins, who is on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Collins DBE. Justin, thank you for sharing these follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you and your work and your books online. Where do you want people to follow you? Okay, Twitter is probably where I'm at my best and I'm at The Guyliner, but I'm also on Instagram, the same at The Guyliner and even Facebook. Are people still doing that? Apparently so. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> are they, are they? I don't know. And my impeccable table manners can be found at theguyliner.com. Perfect. Follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and don't forget to follow or subscribe to Follow Friday in your podcast app. If you like this episode, then check out the past Follow Friday interviews with Helen Zaltzman from The Illusionist, Dana Schwartz from Noble Blood, and Dallas Taylor from 20,000 Hertz. Follow Friday is a production of lightningpod.fm. Our theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermerwan, and our social media producer is Sydney Groden. Special thanks to our Big Fry Patreon backers, John and Justin. Visit patreon.com slash followfriday for an extra long version of this interview featuring a bonus follow recommendation from Justin Myers. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.